Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Oh my goodness, I have a confession to make. I've been ready to preach this message since about 4.15 this morning. If we had carpet in our place, I would likely have already worn out the carpet. I've been pacing for so long, so I'm so glad that the time has finally come, and I hope you're excited as well. Happy Thanksgiving weekend, everybody. Hopefully, you've had an opportunity to enjoy some good food, uh, some time and family with your friends. For those who don't know me, my name is Chris Jones, and as Pastor Chris just shared, I am our church's outreach pastor. And man, I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to share the message today. So thanks for being here. We're already having a great day. I mean, we had great worship. We just were able to witness a baptism So indeed, we are having a fantastic day already here at Coastal. And for those who are watching online, just want to say hello to you as well. Be sure to leave us a comment in the chat because we would absolutely love to engage with you throughout the service today. Now to everyone, whether you're here in person or if you're watching online, I wonder if you've had the opportunities to reflect on the good things of life. Hopefully you've taken time to express gratitude this weekend as this is what the essence of this holiday known as Thanksgiving is all about. Now I have no doubt for many of you, the mad dad dash for Christmas has already begun. Christmas trees are up, holiday parties are already being planned, and most of you are already wild and running free engaging in that Christmas shopping. But before we completely forget about this idea, or this holiday I should say, known as Thanksgiving, and the turkey coma, and the five pounds or more that you likely gained on Thursday alone, before we forget about that table that was prepared with all of its goodness, I'm hoping we can just spend a few minutes today to talk about another table that we oftentimes we don't think about. Now you might be thinking, Chris, I only know of one Thanksgiving table at my house. You might even be wondering, Chris, are you talking about the kitty table? Maybe it's this other table, because you know some families have them where they have so many desserts. And if you're thinking that that's a table, we would probably likely all would enjoy forgetting about that one. But I'm talking about a table today, or we're gonna share today a discussion about a table that's far sweeter than any dessert you might have tasted this weekend. And friends, let me just go ahead and say it. It is certainly not the kitty table. So we're gonna dive right in today And we're going to travel a great distance spiritually in just a short amount of time. So let's begin our time together with a look at the 23rd Psalm. And it says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It goes without saying. This particular passage is quite familiar. I trust that most of you have likely heard this passage before. But the words have been such a source of comfort for so many people. It offers hope and assurances to those who are not at peace and to those who are hurting. 
In fact, it is one of the most commonly used passages in memorial services. Many have committed this passage of scripture to memory, and it serves as a life verse for countless numbers of believers. Maybe it's even yours. As a side note, over the past several weeks, I've been blessed with the opportunity to be on this journey with my life group as we've opened up this particular psalm in conversation. And we've been wrestling with it and chewing on God's word, feasting on all the wisdom that is contained in the psalm. And it's amazing, though, how much I'm able to learn from those that God has blessed me with the opportunity to lead. And this semester has simply been no exception. So because it is Thanksgiving, let me just say this. Thank you to every person in this church who is taking the journey with Kim and I at some point in time through so many life groups over the past six years or so. We're thankful because we have learned and continue to learn so much from all of you. But this is the essence of what our small group ministry here at Coastal is all about. In fact, let me go ahead and make the plug. If you're interested in leading, co-leading, or hosting a life group, I'm absolutely positive that my teammate, Pastor Scott Huff, would absolutely love to hear from you next week. I can assure you that if you choose this as the next step, you will have chosen a good one. So look again at the psalm. Let's take it a little bit deeper, if you will, by looking at verse five. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Friends, the reality is this. God prepares for both you and I, and for that matter, for every believer, a table. And on that table are all the good things we could ever want. In fact, just last week, Pastor Chris wrapped up a nine-week series called Fruit of the Spirit. And on and that, in those messages and on that table are things such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But also on this table are things such as grace and love and healing, restoration, mercy, and forgiveness. You see, God's table prepares, prepared for us contains an abundant life, not only here on earth, but the promise of an eternal salvation to come. You see, the tables we enjoyed for Thanksgiving pale in comparison to the one we just read about in the 23rd Psalm. Let's face it, speaking of the Thanksgiving table, and as much as we all packed it in, and let me go ahead and say, I really packed it in. With the Thanksgiving table that happened on Thursday, we ultimately become hungry and dissatisfied again, right? No one stopped at Thursday and then didn't eat anything till today, right? Eventually, we all got hungry and we ate again. But God's table, mentioned here in verse five, offers a feast for both you and I that leaves us never wanting again. But what's interesting about the table is that it is a table for two, a table for us and our gracious host, the Lord. Look down at your outline again and read the verse. He prepares a table before me. Again, this is a table for two with all of its goodness and the one-on-one opportunity for us to fellowship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But also take notice of the other part of that verse where it says, in the presence of my enemies. You see, the enemy is there. And as much as we'd like for the Lord to just simply right now and today to crush our enemy, to cut off his head and the heads of all of his influencers, to slap down the gavel of justice, if you will, the enemy is still there. The table is indeed for two, 
But make note and be aware, the enemy is present. He's not invited. He's certainly unwelcome. And the Lord already has a plan in place to deal with him. He's not a partaker of any of the good things that the Lord has provided on this table for us. But he would love nothing more than to have the opportunity to pull up a chair and devour every good thing about your life and everything the Lord offers at this table. You see, the enemy's purpose is to use any means necessary to pull up a chair and sit. And all he needs is an invitation from you. Now, you might very well be thinking, fair enough, Chris. Devil, you're not invited. But the problem is, the invitation can indeed come through our words. But most often, the table for two becomes a table for three with our thoughts. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul when he said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. It says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What is the Apostle Paul trying to teach us here? He's trying to teach us in this particular passage that in the same way the enemy ruined Eve, way back in the Garden of Eden, he's trying to ruin us too. And all he needs is just a small crack, just a tiny opening. And if Satan can obtain just a sliver of our thoughts, he eats our entire lunch. He can easily take away nearly everything this table provides. And if we allow Satan to control our minds, not only does he pull up a chair, but he ends up putting his feet on our table. So how do we prevent then the enemy from pulling up a chair at the table the Lord has provided for us with our thinking? The reality is there are many and there are just too many for me to illustrate in the short allotted amount of time that I've been given to preach this message today. But for the sake of time, we're going to explore a few of the more common ways we tend to extend an invitation to the devil himself unknowingly. So we invite the enemy to sit when we are ungrateful for the good things the Lord has provided at our table. We will be remiss right now with this being Thanksgiving weekend, if we didn't acknowledge the need or the necessity of thankfulness in the life of every believer. But it's easy, though, to be entangled with all the challenges of life because, let's face it, they're numerous. It's easy to be entangled. It's easy for us to look to the left and then look to the right to see what others have and to ultimately feel ungrateful. It's easy to look to the right to see a person who has more material wealth than you. It's easy to look to the left to see what appears to be a perfect marriage, whereas your own is struggling and has its troubles. Our eyes easily can turn to a coworker who works fewer hours, does less work, but makes more money than you do. Our eyes easily turn to the person who always seems to have blessing rain down on them from heaven, but you can't seem to catch a break if your life depended on it. Does that describe anyone here today? But that's the trap. And this trap is as old as time itself, and it is indeed as effective as it has ever been. You see, if the enemy can get us to look left and to look right, if the enemy can get our eyes off what we do have and off what the Lord has done to focus on what we don't, then he can easily pull up a chair to a table in which he has no invitation. 
In fact, one of the greatest dangers, friends, in pulling out a chair for the enemy to sit at our table is to gaze upon another person's table and to wish it were our own. But how often, friends, do we do just that? Listen to the book of James, chapter one, verse 17. It says this, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The psalmist writes in Psalm 100, verses four through five, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Again, the apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Church family, listen. Every good thing we enjoy in this life comes from Jesus and is because of Jesus. The passages we just read remind us very clearly that Christ is the root of all things that are good. He is never changing. He knows what we need, when and how we need it. He loves us in a way that you and I simply don't have the capacity to love him back. He is faithful, he is righteous, he is generous, and he is good. And he provides us with a satisfaction that nothing in this world can provide. And the passages we just read tell us this, that we should give thanks and glory to God because of it. But hear this. The enemy knows he pales in comparison to our Lord. Next to Jesus, he knows he loses and he simply cannot win. Therefore, his game then is to entice us to simply look away or convince us to be wrapped up in what we don't have versus what we do, to lull us into this trap of thinking Jesus isn't enough when the reality is Jesus is all we will ever need. So let me ask you, has the enemy ever pulled up a seat at your table? Perhaps a better question would be, is he seated at your table today? Think about our table, Coastal. The reality is this, we are truly a blessed church. Think of that beautiful new facility that we opened up just a few weeks ago. It is an incredible tool that we will be able to leverage for generations to come. Think of all of the children who will, the Lord will send our way and think of all the opportunities to lead these little ones to the Lord. And think of all the life groups we're gonna be able to host and consider all the opportunities to bless our community with that brand new space. Speaking of blessings, we've got, a, we've got a box truck that's out there in the parking lot that's nearing its one-year anniversary. In its first year alone, we've hosted 39 tailgate outreach events, each one of those tailgates equipped with enough food to, nearly, to feed nearly 200 people. Let me give you the simple math. We've been blessed as a church to feed nearly 8,000 people last year. Yeah. But it gets better. Nearly 8,000 opportunities to love and serve the people in our community. Nearly 8,000 opportunities for us as a church to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let's be thankful for that. It goes without saying the table prepared for us is full of the Lord's goodness. And if all that were not enough, friends, 
we're going to be given the opportunity to expand our reach into the community in the coming year with a second truck. Now, I don't know what God is going to do with that truck, but wouldn't it be absolutely wonderful for us to come back here this time next year and say, well, we hosted 80 to 100 tailgate outreach events, and we were able to bless the lives of 16 to 20,000 people. So as a next step, consider giving to our Christmas offering now through January 9th so we can continue our work in the community to build relationships and to point people to our church and more importantly, point people to Jesus. Friends, let me just say this. This is very evident in my life and those who have experienced it will will agree that gratitude nearly always propagates the idea of generosity. I absolutely love this quote from pastor and writer John Ortberg. He wrote this, gratitude is the ability to experience life as a gift. It liberates us from the prison of self-preoccupation. Friends, we've been given gifts, and Jesus is using both you and I as gifts. You see, we serve inside the church, and we serve outside, and we never make apologies about it. So let's not be preoccupied with what we don't have, but leverage what we do. In fact, let's deny Satan a seat at our table right now. Let me tell you how. Inside your worship guide today, you receive, is an insert for our huge outreach event for Christmas. We're going to celebrate Christmas at Joseph Floyd Manor on December the 18th. We're going to be providing a full holiday meal, Christmas stockings, and gifts to every resident. We're going to be providing a coffee, tea, and hot chocolate bar, cookie decoration station, a craft table. We're going to have Christmas trees, carols, and more. So we can take a step as a church right now by signing up to either give and or serve. Friends, again, our lives are a gift, and we can show gratitude to Jesus for those gifts by simply giving our lives away. And when we serve and leverage what we have, we soon discover just how blessed we are, and we can't help in response but to give thanks to God for it. And when we do that, we're essentially kicking the chair out from underneath Satan, denying him a seat at our table. So we invite the enemy to sit when we are ungrateful for the good things the Lord has provided at our table, and we also invite him to sit when we are unforgiving to those who have hurt us. We've been talking about this idea this morning about the Lord providing for us a table prepared for us in the presence of our enemies, this table full of the goodness of Jesus. It is a feast spread that far exceeds anything we likely experience for Thanksgiving. The table represents an opportunity for both you and I to enjoy relationship with God, an opportunity to talk and to walk one-on-one with the Lord of both heaven and earth. Friends, the Lord created us for two things. He created us for worship, and he created us for relationship. And Jesus wants to be with us. But he's not the only one who desires a place at this table. We already know that the enemy A common enemy to all of us wants to worm and wiggle his way to this table that is ultimately reserved for two. Again, friends, he cannot simply pull up a chair to this table unless he is invited. You see, the reality is this. Satan cannot change the reality that in Christ he has been ultimately defeated. But he can wreak havoc. He can inflict pain and misery 
by invading the space in between our ears. Friends, the battleground for us occurs in our minds and in our thinking. And the enemy has so many weapons in his arsenal to use, but few things can allow the enemy to quickly seize a spot at our table than that of a spirit of unforgiveness. You see, unforgiveness is this slow, unrelenting, gnawing away of our joy, of our peace, and our hope. Now make no mistake, people and life can be cruel. And for many who hear this message today, let me just say this, I acknowledge that you've been hurt. People have said things they've taken advantage of, preyed on your goodness, and in some cases, even on your innocence. You have been hurt, your children have been scarred, or perhaps for some, you've lost everything. You feel justified in your unwillingness to forgive. Now, I don't know all the things that everyone has experienced here, but I can tell you this, I know Christ does. But allow me to interject before we go any further, just a quick disclaimer. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. You see, forgiveness is a requirement. Reconciliation is optional. So if you can make peace through reconciliation, then please do so. However, there will likely be instances where reconciliation is simply not possible. But know this, God's word speaks frequently about the idea of forgiveness. In fact, whether we like it or not, we are commanded by God himself to forgive. Listen to this parable told by Jesus to his disciples beginning in Matthew 18. Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Jesus goes on to say, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, seizing him. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until she, he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. It goes without saying, Unforgiveness, friends, is a thief, and it absolutely decimates us spiritually. It keeps us from seeing all the good things the Lord has laid out before us on the table that he has provided. Unforgiveness is so damaging and so grievous. And just like in the parable of, that's spoken here in Matthew, we ask and then expect God to forgive us when we slip up. And oftentimes we slip up in a big way but are often unwilling to forgive others when they do us wrong. And as Jesus is teaching us here in this parable, that just simply doesn't work. Listen to how the parable ends in verse 35. It says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother 
from your heart. You see, the enemy wants and plans to further victimize us from our previous pains and trauma. How does he do it? By ensuring you and I never reach a place of forgiveness. The sowing of unforgiveness not only blocks us, friends, from the good things of God, but it consumes us so that we cannot even walk out the plan and purposes that he has for our lives. By keeping our wounds open through unforgiveness, you and I, we never heal. And the enemy sits at our table, devouring that which was reserved by God for us. And ultimately, over time, as forgiveness takes its hold, the devil's able to flip over our table destroying it, letting everything we've ever hoped for and the good plans and purpose for our lives all come crashing to the floor. The imagery here is pretty sad, isn't it? But it's happening to someone right here in this service. Friends, we must make the choice that the enemy is not going to rob us. He cannot pull up a chair reserved for two. He cannot have any of the good things the Lord has reserved for our lives. We've got to decide that we're going to release our own judgment on those who have hurt us and give it rightly to the one where judgment belongs. You may acknowledge the need to forgive today, but you might also confess that it feels impossible. You may even see how the enemy's at your table right now eating your lunch because of the spirit of unforgiveness. Allow me to offer you a next step. Take a moment right now and use your Connect card to leave a prayer request. In fact, in just a little while, you'll receive an invitation to make your way back over to our prayer and decision area where you'll be able to pray with someone. If you're watching online today, you can make your way over to our church online platform by way of our church website, and there you can enter into a private chat. The idea is simply this, friends. Don't leave the service today without surrendering unforgiveness to the Lord. Why the emphasis on it? Why, why so strong a feeling about it? Well, the answer is simply this. The only person who loses in unforgiveness is you and me. So we invite the enemy to sit at our table when we are ungrateful for the good things the Lord has provided for us and we are unforgiving to those who have hurt us and we invite the enemy to seat, have a seat at our table when we are unprepared for the schemes of the hijacker of our table. I'm not gonna say anything here that you don't already know, but friends, life is no picnic. And life will never be smooth sailing. We tend to find that as we solve one problem, guess what, another problem comes rolling in behind it. Life tends to be this constant flow of distractions and eruptions. There are work obligations, social media, school events and sports. There's grocery shopping that needs to be done, be done and bills that need to be paid. There are medical concerns that some are dealing with, difficult family members, troubled marriages, and more. Life is tough. But you know what? The enemy has a way of making it even tougher. However, when we allow Satan to pull up a table for us by the Lord, it gets even tougher because no longer is the enemy just working in the circumstances, but he's working in your head to hijack how you deal with those circumstances. When we aren't prepared, the enemy has an easy way to hijack our table. So let me ask you, has he hijacked your table? Is he already eating your lunch? 
Do you want him to leave, but you aren't quite sure how to send him packing? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 11. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Very interesting, I found a recent poll of about 3,000 people who indicated only 13% of its respondents read the Bible every day. The poll suggests that either people don't believe in the power of God's word or they don't find in it sufficient significance to warrant a place in the normal rhythm of life. Friends, that's just in Bible reading alone. It's absolutely depressing when you hear about the numbers of those who uh, feel about living in Christian community or engaging in Christian relationships and in church attendance and prayer. So what is the Apostle Paul trying to teach us in Ephesians 6? Well, to put it quite simply, we're in a war. And the enemy, although we don't see him, is there and and he is real. And he's betting on you and I being ill-prepared. And we are ill-prepared when there isn't a daily investment in donning the armor of God. We're ill-prepared when we aren't committing to reading God's word and spending time in prayer with him. But I'm willing to bet that there are those with us today, here in person, and perhaps even online, who aren't armored up. Those amongst us who haven't invested in God's word or haven't prayed today. Perhaps there are those amongst us who haven't armored up this week or maybe even this month. Friends, let me just say this. Without the armor provided to us by the Lord, we're fighting naked and we don't stand a chance. Listen to James chapter four and verse seven. It says this. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But to resist the devil, friends, the first step is we got to armor up. To keep the enemy from taking a seat at our table, we've got to engage in those spiritual disciplines that keeps him from controlling our thoughts. We've got to armor up if we want to keep the enemy out of the driver's seats of our lives. We've got to armor up if we want to keep him from blocking us from experiencing the abundant life to be had at the table that has been prepared for us. Friends, the table for us is indeed good and is complete with all of the good things of God. Now, we have no control over the enemy being near our tables, but we do have a say as to whether or not he pulls up a seat or not. So if you felt like this entire message today is this a, 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 a musings or just a rambling on and you take nothing else away from the message, please hear this. Please hear this if nothing else. Friends, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. So we're wrapping up the message, and I just want you to know this. Everything that we've talked about today, everything that we shared, means very little outside of a relationship with Jesus. And I would hate to know that someone here today is here amongst us, having never experienced a table that is prepared just for them. They likely certainly know the struggles and the heartache, but not the rest and the joy and the peace and the abundant life that only Jesus can offer. You see, the Bible teaches us that Christ died for the ungodly, the sinner, to which we are all guilty. 
But his work on the cross and dying for our sins is so that we might all enjoy the table he provides. Let me ask you, are you war-torn and tired? Have you tried everything on your own only to come up empty time and time again? Are you hoping for something new? Can I just make a very simple invitation? Try Jesus. Try him. There's nothing to lose and everything to gain. Today is the opportunity for us, church, to let our enemy know he no longer has a place at our table. And let's wrap this holiday weekend up with a real thanksgiving by forgiving those who've hurt us, ensuring we are aware and armoring up for battle every single day, and perhaps the most important, by simply saying, thank you, Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Oh, Father, we thank you for your peace. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege and opportunity to be here today, Lord, and to worship you, Father, in both spirit and in truth. Father, we pray that we will be mindful, Lord, today that there is an enemy in our midst and that although, Lord, you have a plan for, for him to deal with him, to ultimately, Lord, rid him, Lord, from this world, Father, we just pray that, Lord, that we would be mindful and that we would do the things that we need to do to prevent the enemy from taking a seat at the table that you have provided. But, Lord, we know that these things, Father, all these things don't work, Lord, outside of a relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that it might be someone watching online or even here in person, Father. Father, we pray, Lord, that they would just pray something like this. Lord, I've tried my own way and I have failed. I struggle day in and day out, and I seek another way. Lord, accept me just as I am, Lord. Receive me, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And let your spirit dwell in me from this day forward, that I might walk in victory with you and enjoy the abundance of eternal life. Father, bless our church. Bless, Lord, everything, Lord, that you have called us to do, that we as a church would be faithful to do it, and that in all we do, we bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.